And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Hello and welcome to Walking Dead Wednesday, number 10. I am Chris Honeywell and I am here with Sean Engel. Hey everyone. And Michael Bailey. Hello. And today, which is Wednesday or whatever it came out on Wednesday, we will be covering Walking Dead number 47. It would be really silly to put out Walking Dead Wednesday every Thursday. Yes. So, it's, just, it's when we recorded. Screw you guys. We're going home. So. I think there's just this re- residual thing in our in us old guys' heads back to radio where it's like, oh, or TV, you know, where it's like a show's on on a certain day. Yeah. But basically, this show comes out on Wednesday. There's probably very few people who are listening to it on that Wednesday. Yeah, it's more of a, you know, I I don't know about the people listening to the show right now, but for me, I've I've always kind of preferred, especially with format shows like this, where you're following a you know like an ongoing series and you do like an episode or two an episode. I like listening to about five or six episodes back to back. Right, or having the option to at least, yeah, you know. Yeah, you know, if it's like if I want to listen to it every week, you know, like I do with Hey Kids Comics, I'll listen to that every week, you know, pretty much the day it comes out. But like, you know, Thrilling Adventures of Superman hosted by Michael Bradley, I'll let about five or six pile up and then just go through all of them just because that's how I like to listen to it. And those shows are kind of meant for that. It's why I like, you know, it, it's why I like listening to shows like this and why I like doing shows like this because you don't have to really rely on what's going on right now right to you know for it I mean if you miss comic book news from a month ago well something really huge could have happened in that month that made that first episode seem kind of silly almost that they're trying to guess about something then it comes out they're like oh we were completely wrong so, I don't care if pe- when people listen. I just want them to listen. Exactly. They're, Girl, uh, don't go uh, away. So, so you're sort of a binge podcast listener. <laughs> yeah. Or you'll binge on a certain. Yeah, I mean, I'll wake up. My you know podcast. my iPod will be like on twenty percent power. I'll have like you know the saliva stuck to the side of my mouth. Won't remember where I was the last twenty four hours. It's terrible. Um, <laughs> I have the so. same thing, but usually I'm in a hotel in Vegas and there's a dead hooker in the room. So. <laughs> Why does that do. keep happening over and over again? I know. <laughs> I, I don't I, understand. I don't remember choking this hooker out, but uh, <laughs> no, I, had, I was, I was uh, not chided. That's, but that's becoming was... your catchphrase lately, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I, I just, you know, of all the things to think are funny, the, the term choking a hooker. And basically it's just, you know, it, it's it's the type of comedy that comes from irony. And, and by irony, I don't mean in that bullshit hipster way. Right. Um, though I had to help a customer today at work 
and I had to th- I had to admonish the associate who directed me to them. I go, next time you send me over to deal with a hipster, you tell me I'm going over to deal with a hipster. Well, I didn't know he was a hipster. He had black uh, horn-rimmed glasses, a, a baseball cap, and bad facial hair. <laughs> and an ironic beard, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, I was at the grocery store today on a Tuesday afternoon, but they must have been running a bus from one of the colleges or something because there were so many ironic beards walking around and, like... just makes me angry. And they're all walking around, like... I call it the... It, this is a sort of complex... Not that complex. I call it the I am riding a bike because <laughs> I notice a lot of hip, hipsters around, at least in Rochester... You'll you'll see a hipster couple, and it'll be a guy in like black girl jeans, and some some form of the hair and the and the shirt and the messed up shirt, and his girl will have like a summer dress on, and they'll have Pee Wee Herman bikes, and they'll be riding on the sidewalk really slow and wobbly, and I call that I am riding a bike. They're like, let's go ride a bike. Yes, let's. And then they ride around going, look, everybody, a bike. Oh, my God. How how crazy is this riding the bike? And uh, there were a lot of people shopping with that same attitude of like, ho, ho, cereal aisle. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, I remember doing that when I was uh, when I was in my 20s. But we were funny. Um, right. So hipsters can't be too funny. They can only be funny in it. They can, the the only kind of laugh that's acceptable for that is <laughs> one one day Henry Rollins and I are going to just take care of the problem. I I have decided this. He and I are going to team up and uh it's going to be like the best odd couple remake ever except we're killing hipsters. So Well, no, I like the idea of hipsters proliferating because it's basically when the zombie apocalypse comes, they're going to be the first ones down, and then you're going to have a bunch of like little scrawny, pasty hipsters, you know, shambling around like, oh, oh. But they're going to be shambling oh. around in an ironic way. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like, you know, at least at least hippies were either people who wanted to make the world better or just wanted to smoke pot. I mean, you know, or or do other kinds of drugs, you know, or both, man, or or both. But you know, it's like we're either activists or we're just recreational or sometimes habitual drug users. You know, both of those have their place, and both serve a function to a certain extent. So, I don't know. Anyways, we're talking about Walking Dead. Number- <laughs> we're talking about Walking Dead number forty-seven, which had a cover date of March two thousand eight. I have the synopsis this time uh robert kirkman was the writer charlie adler was the penciler inker and cover so apparently the man is the cover uh cliff rathburn for the gray tones and the cover colors and russ wooten was the letterer previously michonne put a bullet in the back of the governor's head at the end of the last issue they are his men stood stunned for a moment but then she convinced them to come back to the prison where they and Rick decided that they were going to make a better society. So they all went back to Woodbury and created a new utopia where they were able to care, you know, keep away the zombies that were shambling up to them until the problem pretty much resolved itself. And from there, they formed the new United States. Actually, that didn't fuck you. Yeah, and there was pie. <laughs> there was, oh, don't 
delicious pie. Mm. And actually, you know what? That didn't fucking happen. You know why? Because Michonne didn't pull the trigger like she should have. <laughs> this is I'm a point of contention for you. I'm, dude. Seriously, don't. <laughs> I know it's dramatic. I know this is a comic. We're supposed to see shit like this. I'm sorry if I would have got been able to get that close. The, the, the sound of gunfire would have been just like... <gasps> well, this so. is a comic that sort of prides itself on on sort of not doing that dramatic stuff and, and cleaving more to realism. So it's always kind of shocking when you have... Yeah, a, a sort of... Not exactly a comic booky scene, but yeah. still like maybe Action a movie, movie scene. Yeah, 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 exactly. So anyways, we start off with uh, the fat dude, as I will call him throughout the rest of the episode, um, sitting there telling Michonne that she's surrounded. And the gunfight uh, happens because, well, you know, they're like, hey, we got guns, and she just has a sword and that one gun. Michonne manages to get away. Uh, the governor gives fat guy a really hard time because that's what it was like the last time you blew her fucking brains out. Meanwhile, back at the prison, Lori unloads on Rick because they didn't do anything to save Tyrese, even though, you know, they really couldn't do anything to save Tyrese because they were worried about what would happen with Michonne. She goes to feed the baby. Rick goes and tells Carl about what happened and then gives him a bag of canned goods to hide and basically in case shit goes down, he can grab that and they can be on the run. So he goes outside to see how everyone's doing. That's when the governor's men arrive. And basically, uh, last time was really dramatic with the governor, like, standing on the tank and going, we're here! Well, this time, they bring everybody. And they're mowing through roamers like crazy. And the gunfight of the century breaks out between these two. Unfortunately, and I'm really sad about this, Axel is taken out really early. I uh, know. And I was really sad about Axel going. I'm glad, though I am glad he was taken out by a bullet to the head, because then he won't become a zombie. So, yeah. yeah. So basically, soon into the gunfight, Fat Guy is taken out as well, because who shows back up but Andrea, standing on top of the camper, shooting and killing people right and left. You know why? Fuck and yes. Because Andrea's awesome. Well, well here's the awesome cinematic action yeah. movie moment to cancel yes. out the uh, awkward yeah. one earlier. So Rick's all ecstatic because they came back, but the uh, people from Woodbury drive into the camper. She's knocked to the ground. The firefight continues. The tank breaks into the prison in a beautiful two-page shot. And the firefight is taken into the prison. Rick runs to find his family and is faced with the... God, this is really sad considering recent events. Um, I thought about that myself. He runs into the cell where his family was staying, and there's Lori on her knees clutching their newborn baby with a shotgun to her head. And that is the end of the issue. And that's basically the cover of the the issue, too, except she's outside by a torn fence, ripped up chain link fence. Yeah, and the way the covers the way the covers printed, uh, and the person who's holding the shotgun, it doesn't look like the shotgun is being pointed at her. So it may be you could have the idea that this may be actually a friendly who's carrying the shotgun, but the positioning of it kind of also could lead you to think that it's maybe kind of if if it's not it's, it's unfriendly, it's kind of rude positioning for somebody with a baby nearby. Oh, yeah. But yeah. still, 
Uh, you you may want to point that elsewhere. Yeah, please. You know, just saying. So, but this this, uh, like you said, the last one was sort of like a battle, whereas this one this one's a battle too, but this is pure chaos. Yeah, it's this just is like the governor has lost his steely reserve and is just like, let's just run at him. I'm pissed. Yeah, there's no there's no um, real thought to uh, a you know tech. There's no tactics here. It's just we're gonna throw everything we have at them, and you know what? It actually works because one, the shock and awe kind of unnerves the group, and two, and more importantly, you know, these guys are not at their best. Uh, you know, the people of the prison wrecking crew are not really at, the, at their fighting form. You know, a couple of them have left. They just lost Tyrese, you know. And I'm sure most of them at this point don't want to fight anymore. They're just tired because, you know, it took them so long to get settled and now it's all getting ruined again. Yeah, but the governor's men, they took quite a few of them out and and the people at the prison, tired as they were, were a lot more prepared. I like yeah, how they're they, just like, they can't get down on the ground because of the roamers. So they got down under the cars and just started taking people's knees out and then chucking hand grenades and stuff. That that was, there was definitely, there was definitely a blow to the governor's morale. He was, you know, there, he, there was a lot of shots of the governor going, fuck, fuck, <laughs> through the whole thing. The shot when, when the fat guy gets it through the head, the look on the governor's face is just like, oh, man. <laughs> You know, but uh, you know, Rick. But does Rick does point out? You know, we're planned for this. We're prepared. Just get down and let's fight back. We can get through this. And they really, you know, ultimately can't. I mean, Andrea coming in kind of turned the tide a little bit. But tank. That's all he's got to say. Tank. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the tank blows through the wall. And I mean, I can't. I I, I don't even want to think about how long it took Charlie Adler to draw that. That's a beautiful uh, yeah. double page spread. That looks like a chain link fence getting yeah, crushed. Yeah, that is coming down. That is incredibly detailed. Really great artwork from Adler there. And once it's really funny, Adler's Adler's artwork sometimes upon first glance looks almost sketchy and um uncomposed. But then the more you look at it, the more you realize that it's not at all. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of parts that are very com- composed. But sometimes he has shots that look just like that tank. That tank isn't, like, dramatically... I don't know, but it's beautiful. It's it's it's. The more you look at it, the more realistic it looks and the more uh, threatening the whole thing, you know, because it's realistic. It it It's... Shit just got real, man. And and that is actually, you know, because shit got real in the previous issue, and yeah. shit got real the issue before that. It just keeps it, getting real. It's like all the shit time. got realer. I guess is the best way to say it. Because you know we have like one or two very quiet moments. You know we have, um, we have you know, uh, Rick talking to Carl, um, and I love Carl's reaction to Tyrese's death. You know, uh, Carl, are you upset? No, people die, Dad. It happens all the time. I'll miss Tyrese, but I knew he was going to die eventually. Everyone will, everyone. And it's just like, wow, <laughs> congratulations, zombie apocalypse. You've broken an eight-year-old child. Yeah, yeah. You've <laughs> yeah, well, if you look at the 
you take a look at the panel where uh, Carl says that, the look on Rick's face is is one of shock. He's realized that his kid has has had to grow up before his time. That he's had to deal with all this horrible stuff, and uh, he's you know it, it's it's shocking to him that this little eight year old kid. Because in the next on the next page, you've got a panel of him and, and Carl is tiny compared to Rick. Yeah. So just to hear him uh, blurt out this fact that everyone's going to die is just a it, it, it's a really horrifying aspect of Carl's, you know, what's going on in Carl's life. So, yeah. Well, it means, yeah, Carl's thought that, you know, mom and dad are going to be dead sometime. I'm going to be dead sometime. Well, Carl's kind of had a, you know, gone through this before. I remember, you know, the, the first time that I sat down and talked Walking Dead uh, for Two True Freaks was when I was guesting on a... Uh, um, yeah, Comics Monthly Monday, and I remember it was an issue where basically everyone pulled out their gun, and it was a really tense moment, and there's just one panel when everything settles down of Carl putting his gun back in his holster, and that's when you realize, holy shit, this kid was, this kid was ready. <laughs> he had the drop on him, yeah. And, and I, and it just, I remember seeing that and going, that is, that is just both sad and awesome all at the same time. So, I, I are, just yeah, kids are adaptable even in the most horrible situation. I mean, feral kids are probably some of the most like should probably be one of the most frightening things you could ever think of. But like you know, if you I, ever ran afoul of them. I was thinking about it uh, a couple of days ago, um, and I don't know why I got to this thought, but I was thinking about how children and kids growing up like during the you know the eight the various stages of the 1800s because i'm pretty sure that a farm in 1865 was a lot like a farm in 1899 you know there was you know the you know they probably had some you know advancements in how they planted the fields and maybe the equipment changed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but you know when you don't have electricity in one decade, it's probably a lot like not having electricity in another. Right, right. So, and you know, a lot of those, and a lot of farms weren't really getting electrified, for lack of a better term, until like the 30s and 40s. So, but you got to think of, of, of growing up in that time period, because I was, uh, I'm not bringing up recent events to talk about recent events, because frankly, it's not that kind of party and I'm just not that type of person. But given not only what happened recently in Connecticut, but also what happened to someone that I know, you know, I, I realize that we deal with death completely differently than they did 50, 60, 70, 100 years ago. Yes. When you're being when you're raised on a farm where you have a family of 16, and you have a family of 16 for two reasons. One, you need people to work on the farm. And two, three quarters of you might die of cholera or some other illness. You get a cold in the 1800s or you, you even scratch yourself. Yeah. It's touch and, and get go. A, I mean, <laughs> right. you know, you get an infection, you're kind of screwed. I mean, cause you know, medical science being what it was. So I'm sure in those instances, when people died, it was like a source of sadness, but it was also probably in a very weird way, kind of like, this is what happens. This is life. This is what we do. And you have well, to go, you have to keep moving. I, I could tell you what took that out of our culture. And that was the, uh, funeral home culture. 
the the funeral home industry and the the, the thought of having a funeral home right because people used to people used to take grandpa and clean him up dress him up put him in the sitting room you know set up the sitting room the neighbors would come over and uh you know and i'm and there were grave diggers and the, you know and i'm some middlemen and stuff but now you know so you were intimate with death you know and it wasn't this mysterious thing that was and a corpse wasn't something that people took and tried to preserve and make as perfect as possible and stuff like that well hell people used to take pictures of dead bodies oh yeah you know, they they dress them up and dress them up know, and yeah. get a last picture and put them in their favorite chair and uh oh yeah i have a few of those tin type old tin types where yeah. you look at it and uh, like, eyes open <laughs> and uh you look at it and be just like geez what's wrong with this guy and then you realize oh yeah okay <laughs> Uh, the way I realized it is it was in uh, some of my late father's um, collection of stuff. And I'm looking at all these pictures, and at the bottom of it, there's a little piece of cardboard that says, Dead People. <laughs> oh, yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that the, <laughs> no. the, those people were, were heartless or anything. Because, again... No, not at all. You know, no, unless they were actually probably a- dealing with the grieving process more efficiently and better and in a more healthy manner than we do these days. And, and I, and I hate to say it too, cause, cause it sounds like I'm, I'm, you know, saying that this society has been pussified or however you want to say it. But frankly, you know, getting in touch with our own feelings is kind of a double edged sword at this point. So, I mean, yeah, the, there, you know, there is the grieving process and the, you know, you realize that there are five stages of grief. I think we just stretch shit out a little too, too long nowadays. But then again, I, I get it's a luxury up. we have. Yeah. Nowadays. Yeah. Because I don't know if it's better or worse, but it is, it's a luxury we have nowadays as opposed to. And I'm kind of glad then. we have it's, it. It's different though. You know, I mean, it's different. I mean, I, I, I was just going to say, I was actually in a rare occurrence the words went through a filter before they flew out my mouth where I was going to say you know these days everybody's so busy and everybody's working and stuff but at the same time back in those days everybody was busy and mom and dad were working they just weren't you know mom might not have been working at a job but she was working on the farm everybody was working on the farm really hard and Coming yeah, you didn't and, have a choice. You had to, right. you had to get those fields in because that's where your livelihood right. was. And, and was very similar from. to us, they were in a cycle of work, you know, eat, sleep, work, eat, sleep, work. And uh, But the, the difference was just the way, like, um, you know, it was, it was sort of a multi-generational thing, very much like the Waltons or something like that, where families... I've been talking, I've been noticing, I've, and, and, um, Michael, you're one of them, and I think it's coming back these days. Is is you know I think in from maybe the after World War II, it became sort of not part of our culture to have a a, a you know you 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 would have your kids and you would raise the kids till they were old enough to leave the house and go to school and get married themselves and they would go off and and do that where instead of where you would have a homestead that would have three generations all you know grandma kids 
you know, mom and dad, grandkids all running around. And uh, you're starting to see that again. I have a lot of friends who are living in similar situations like that. And at first they were kind of like weird about it because yeah, that's not how you're supposed to live. You know, these people are supposed to live by themselves and these people are supposed to live by themselves and stuff. But I, as time goes on, they're finding that there's a lot of advantages to that, you know, and there's a, a different environment that you live in. You know, you live in a active family and I, I, I think maybe that that contributes to why we have such a selfish culture also or a more self or perceive as a more selfish culture or whatever because you don't have a household with three generations where everybody has to work with each other in order to no usually when there's a household with three generations there's a lot of strife <laughs> there's a lot of do- domestic calls and and yeah yeah there's thousands of Much episodes of cop, cops dedicated to it yeah but uh yeah that was uh it's kind of a heavy conversation well, out it's of kind such of a, a light issue. frothy comic yeah. <laughs> well it, it's it, it it has bearing on the comic i mean the 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 whole idea of the walking dead is what do you do when society breaks down yeah. and uh when 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 society breaks down you get with the people you know the people you care about the people you trust and you get together and try and uh fashion some semblance of society or some semblance of order so that you can you can go on with your life and that's what you know that's what you guys were talking about essentially and that's what they're trying to do in the walking dead trying to bring it back yep and it keeps breaking down (laughs) oh yeah yeah I think this is this is basically societal breakdown number three, right? I would consider like the first one being the initial one, then at the farm, and this is attempt number three going. It's not down yet, but it's circling the drain. That's for sure. Yeah, well, it, um... since they breached the walls. Yeah. But at the at the same point, at the same point, Rick is also. When it comes right down to it, you know, Rick is breaking from one family and like. Good. Well, I've got my prime family here that, you know, it's getting to that point where Rick's making the plans to leave this group if he has to, which it seems is a definite possibility. Well, the thing is, you, you with have Rick, to plan for it. Yeah. Well, everybody who's alive right now is a, everybody who alive is alive right now is either an extreme pragmatist or or in cahoots <laughs> with really pragmatic people. Those are the people that survived because otherwise you're just not going to do it, you know. It's it's only the people who are going to do whatever has to be done. And that's even broken down into a smaller group of the people who are going to do what has to be done but also are going to try to preserve some sort of semblance of a morality and those people's existence is <laughs> constantly in question that's our group and they're, they're you know whether whether that <laughs> whether that is going to be an approach that can be uh maintained is is uh up in the air at this point you know yeah the further we go along in the book the uh 
the the more uh, morality is questioned, especially Rick and uh, his group, you know, how how do we continue to stay moral in a world where everyone, you know, both living and dead seem to be against us? Yeah. I mean, how do we yeah. keep on the moral high road? And it's it's looks like it's just going to get harder and harder for the group. Next to impossible. And once again, I just want to say, little two two freaks, take my hat off, put it over my heart for Axel. God, yeah, I love Axel. Damn that. that is... You know, it's funny of all the characters to die and really affect me. Axel's the one I didn't think would, but he did. It's just because, you know, he probably was in prison for doing exactly what he was. You know basically convicted of doing where you know i have no illusions that axel probably he could, isn't I, he could have he could have beaten someone to death with his bare hands but i'll yeah. bet you that guy was a big asshole but still yeah. he could have beaten a guy to death with his bare hands yeah you know <laughs> but he's also probably one of those people that just lived his life and exactly basically everything that happened to him he was just kind of reacting to so so but when you have people like that who have probably seen the worst humanity has to offer especially you know with um with being in a in a, in a prison like that uh where he probably had to do a lot of things he never thought he would have to do like fight people off trying to rape him um I, somehow I doubt Axel was probably a target for rape in prison. I think he was probably not the kind of guy who would get... But that I... Yeah, I'm not an expert, though. <laughs> but, uh... But, you know... I kind of think of the for... guy that would be... Think of the guy that would be like, hmm, <laughs> I'm gonna take him. <laughs> that would have to be, like, half man, half, like, Planet Golden of the Apes Beast. gorilla. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, you know... Or he was the guy that kind of just stuck to his own self. You know, he he had to beat the piss out of somebody early on, but everyone right. after that, everyone's just like, okay, we're not going to fuck with Axel. Yeah. Or Axel maybe he threw in with the other bikers and just stood in the corner. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you know, you really can't, you don't know what happened to these people before. Oh, yeah, he, you know, we, he, we, very good chance he was hanging out with a bunch of white supremacists as a survival tactic in jail. That's how it often often happens, you know. Yeah, so, especially being a biker. But when you when you see all of the people in the prison for the first time, they're all sitting there eating breakfast, basically. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, okay, we're the only ones left. Let's have a good society. <laughs> you know, <laughs> no one's trying to kill each other except you know the one psychopath. Uh, you know, and and you know, it's just you know, you're just existing. And you know, when he ran past and looked at Lori and all them naked, you know. Uh, and you knew exactly what he was. You know what the, the, the thing that makes but me... But that was kind of innocent, you know? Yeah. It was kind of playful, and it wasn't it wasn't creepy. It was... Yeah. It was, yeah. yeah. It was... Yeah, it was a guy who hasn't seen it naked was being, females for God knows how long. Just yes, he... You know, a, a lot of people couldn't have pulled that off. He pulled that off as a... Uh, in, in good old red-blooded American style, you know? Look, I'm just a red-blooded man. I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> But you, you know, know walked it, away smirking. 
I'm kind of glad that at least he got to hit something. Yeah, yeah, he got he laid in last issue, so at least Which is got... how we should have known he was going to die. <laughs> I know, I yeah, know, I was that's... just going to say, why didn't we see that coming? <laughs> yeah, that was the stereotypical, you know, uh, uh, slasher thing, that if you get laid, you are eventually going to die in the next act, so that's disappointing, but yeah, it's he, he was a fun character. I mean, he was he was one of the little minor characters that this comic is so great at bringing forth and you get attached to. And when they do off them, you, you, you feel bad about it. I mean, a lot of these characters, you know, that come in the minor ones, you don't get attached to, but for some reason, Axel was one of those that you actually could. So it's, it is disappointing to see him gone. Yeah. And, uh, uh Axel, and Every I just year want to mention day, he will raise a, a, a flagon of beer in your honor. I I always get a little mad because a lot of people hate on Laurie, but man, what a pain in the ashes! Be it. what a uh, just really? Are you gonna really sit there and yell at your husband after he watched one of his best friends in this horrible, horrible uh, you know society die when he and he and he had to? He didn't want to, but he had right. to. You're gonna sit there and say you just. You stupid bitch. <laughs> well, she does the like get out of my sight type that you know, you know, you disgust me type, and it's just like it's it's one of those. Th- it's it, she's she's clinging to very negative things, but she's clinging to, to to you know like first world problems. You know that whole like, yeah. R- r- you know, I mean, she should know Rick well enough by now. That, I don't know. Maybe she has postpartum depression. I don't know. But oh yeah, she, she should have got like hormones flowing through her like crazy. She should know that Rick isn't gonna just sit there and let let Tyrese die unless it's absolutely necessary. You know, I mean that's just not Rick. There, you know, it was literally a situation where there's nothing you could have done. You know, it. it, it Especially since they were taking, you know, the governor on his word that he had Michonne. So, yeah, and, and, and before she even knows, she just know- that. Yeah, right, right. They had no choice. You could. It was. It was one of those. And it, I mean, maybe if Lori was out there, it would have been out there, and because in the last episode, when the episode, it, well, it was in the last episode of the show, when that happened, pretty much everybody there probably went through the same thought process of Rick of like what can we do we could do this oh shit if we did this 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 there's nothing we can do you know and then probably this like cold bitter thought of like well Tyrese knew what he was getting himself into you know that was just sort of a logical process that you have would have to go through in that situation so maybe since she wasn't there but ah jeez that's all he needs is a guilt trip right now too you know you know, Lori, I've never really thought much about spousal abuse before, but, uh... <laughs> yeah. No, she's definitely high maintenance in... in well, and the fact that, that, you know, way. she's been through all this stuff, and the group's been through all this stuff, and she's still worried about, you know, petty things like this, that she still thinks that they can... they can deal with these people in a... in a... in a rational manner. 
that that Rick had to do the pragmatic thing and unfortunately let Tyrese, you know, get beheaded. And, and the fact that she's, you know, thinking that, oh, we should have gone out and done something, that's that's wrongheaded. It's well, she's just, thinking, Rick, it, it, and she's putting it all in, you know, you should have done so, you, you should have done something. You, did, you just stood there and did nothing, you know, shame on you. Yeah. And, uh, come on. Give the poor guy a break. He got his hand cut off for, for you guys. He's he's kept her alive to deliver his, you know, his his best friend's baby from his wife, you know, and and is being really cool about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Really Look, mellow uh, about it, that if whole we, thing. If we really want to point the finger here, honey, um, I could just walk away with Carl and deny you. Right, right, yeah, you can just, you can, uh, have fun with yeah, the shame. Yeah, because I'm a nice guy, baby. so fuck you. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, so, yeah, so, so, every once in a while I'm reminded as to why there's all that hate for Lori. You know, I, I don't hate any of the characters, I mean, you know, outside of the governor, but you're kind of, yeah. you know, you're he's supposed just, to hate him. he's, oh, he's yeah. genetically engineered to be, you know, he's the bad guy. You know, and I and I haven't read the novel which details his story yet, uh, though I I do want to. Uh, it 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 gets you into his character. It doesn't make you like this governor anymore. <laughs> yeah, there's which there's is to a its weird, There there's a weird sort of Twilight Zone twist at the end that kind of. Uh, it doesn't ruin it for you, but it does make things a bit more complicated. A little bit of an episode three, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it all it all kind of goes down kind of quickly and twistily. But, no, but this uh, is a great issue. Just, just you know, keep you know, he's not Kirkman is not letting up. No, uh, and, yeah. and he won't let up for quite some time. Though we are soon going to get to a moment. Uh, that is past all of this. That is actually for me the most disturbing moment in the entire series. But we'll we'll wait till we get there. Yes, we're getting yeah. To, we're getting we're getting and, to and, maybe and it one has of nothing to do with episodes. anyone dying, <laughs> which is the sad part. But when we get there, I'll go on. Well, be afraid, very afraid. And of course, this issue ends on the back page. It says next issue dead and buried and it just so shows a black landscape with crosses and a ripped up fence on it so not looking not looking too good but you never it never looks too good <laughs> not really there's never a next issue sunshine and butterflies <laughs> they all get together and sing kumbaya yeah either that or you know I'd like to teach the world to sing, to sing perfect, perfect harmony. And then the zombies in the town hear it and they all like sort of look up and start sort of like That's how we'll know the Walking Dead TV series has jumped the shark when there's a Coke commercial. If they can get it through old fashioned commercials, Jesus. Oh, I just got the idea. I just got the perfect idea for the hipster, modern Walking Dead ironic commercial. You remake uh, 
you know, a one minute, you do it like those Seinfeld ones where they were like two minute commercials and you do a version of Thriller with the cast of The Walking Dead. So, uh, if I And all of a sudden, like, turns around and it's Shane. What's the problem? No, seriously, if I was going to do that with zombies, I would do, like, the Juicy Fruit ad from the... (laughs) Juicy Fruit is gonna move ya! (laughs) Fed up! (laughs) Gets right to ya! (laughs) I have a Casey Kasem's American Top 40 from 1977 that has that commercial on it, like, five times. Has the Doublemint Twins on it, too. Double your pleasure, double your fun. You know, I, I can't tell you anything on the periodic table, but I can tell you <laughs> ad campaigns from 1970s and 80s. I mean, I still remember the fucking whatchamacallit commercial. What do you call it? A whatchamacallit. Well, tell me the name. I told you the name. Did not. Did too. What are you eating? Nothing, honey. Exactly. <laughs> And YouTube brings them all back to life. (laughs) In glorious, grainy videotape. Well, it's funny Ah. because there's an episode coming up. um, And uh, I don't want to give it away. Well, it's it's Scott's in my commentary for the month. It's a Christmas-themed one. But in the course of it, I was looking through old commercials from the 70s. And, oh, geez, I totally forgot how many of them... uh, it's funny that I was just going to say, I totally forgot how many of them are stuck in my head, but that's exactly the way it is. You watch the videos and all of a sudden it triggers it and the whole song and commercial comes back frame by frame. And it's just like, oh, that's right. I watched this commercial 84,000 times in my youth. Uh, but, anything else? No, that's about all I got for this one. Yeah, yeah it, it's ama- okay. it's just... Yeah, it's one of those cases where, you know, a lot happened, but there really wasn't a whole lot to talk about, you know, in a weird way. <laughs> yep, there was, you know, the uh, the two biggest deals for me, death of Axel and the death of the, the camper buys it in this one, too, and I miss that camper. That camper it may have smelled like three-day-old ass, but it was home. But it was their three-day-old ass. Do you ever find yourself going to Amazon.com and uh, buying some record or movie or some stupid thing that two true freaks have been talking about so that you can catch up on it or you've been reminded of it or something? Well, now, how about this? Instead of going to Amazon.com, go to twotruefreaks.libson.com and follow our link to Amazon.com. When you do that, if you buy something over at Amazon, we get a little cut out of it which is awesome because we love money and it won't cost you a thing.
you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libsyn is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. We're off? Good. Well, that ought to hold the little bastards.